Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good morning, everybody. Stop recording. Talk about talk about being talk about being nervous. I'm very nervous this morning, but I I. Hopefully everybody has had their first cup of coffee. I'm not a coffee drinker myself, but uh, we are um, having this uh, the session of the Braille Revival League of Texas. This is the second year in a row that we were the first uh, session to begin our, our state conference after the introduction. Uh, I don't know whether they want to get us out of the way or they thought that Braille is important to everybody, but we believe it's important. So here we are again in 2021. Uh, before we get started with our program, I hope our, our keynote speaker is here. He's here. All right. Very good. Very good. I knew I could count on that, but I wanted our, our uh, affiliate president, uh, to just give us a welcome. Uh, Karen? Good morning. Welcome to the Braille Revival League of Texas. And let's talk about the future of Braille. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Um, you all, surely, I'm sure that those of you who read Braille, or if, even if you don't, you're blind or visually impaired, you understand the significance of Braille, and that is so important to us uh, because we believe it has so many functions in our lives. And we can talk, each of us can tell you stories about what Braille means to us, uh, about how many uh, aspects of life Braille has contributed to. Uh, and, but we, over the last few years have come to uh, realize that in several venues, uh, Braille has, has been under attack. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about the future of Braille. And we could think of no one better to approach this subject who's been around and who has uh, fought the wars and uh, has, has survived and has a great deal of experience, uh, none other than the uh, president of our parent organization, uh, the Braille Revival League, and that is none other than Mr. Paul Edwards. Hey, Michael, thank you very much. And um, just just uh, be before you disappear, in case you're going to, Mr. Michael, how long do I have? I'd say about 20 minutes. Very good. Well, first, thank you to um, the Braille Revival League of Texas and its president, Ms. Karen. Ms. Karen Itell has, has been a Braille supporter for a long time, and we're glad to have Karen involved in our parent organization. She's one of those folks who virtually always comes to BRL events. So in trying to talk about the future of Braille, in, in some respects, the future of Braille is brighter than it's ever been. 
And in some respects, it's scarier than it's ever been. And it's difficult to know which of the two elements of Braille will win. Will it be the scary part or will it be or will it be the amazing part? Uh, I have uh, written in editorials for uh, our BRL memorandum, which all members of the Braille Revival League get uh, over the last several years um, in order to try to uh, make people aware that Braille is at a crossroads. And let me, in the next few minutes, talk a little bit about um, why I believe that we are so neatly balanced and so equally poised between danger and pure, unalloyed wonderfulness. So to start with, um, Braille at the moment is probably being used by fewer and fewer people every year. And there are some reasons for that. The first reason is that folks are getting older. There was a time when virtually every person who was blind was learning Braille. We believe that over the last 30 or 40 years, especially with the advent of computers, a lot of folks who would normally have learned Braille are now not learning Braille. We believe that, that as a result of that, one of, one of the net results is that there are many kids who are partially sighted who could benefit from being taught Braille, who by the time they become adults have not had the opportunity to learn it. For adults who go blind later in life, there is a feeling in a lot of our agencies that serve blind folks at the local level that teaching Braille is complicated, difficult. And so for the most part, it's a lot easier to teach folks how to use iPhones, how to use computers, but not necessarily how to do Braille. So the population is shrinking. In addition to that, the number of Braille printing houses in this country has fallen over the last 20 or 30 years. So we don't have the capacity to produce as much hard copy Braille as we had in the past. Another factor that is causing uh, Braille to decline uh, is the fact that at the moment, even though there is the potential uh, to produce a lot more Braille materials through uh, the National Library Service, at the moment, NLS is constrained uh, by the fact that for now, it is only producing uh, as many books as it makes in hard copy Braille, even though a larger and larger proportion of the Braille readers from the National Library Service are actually reading electronic Braille. So those are some of the, 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 the fearful things uh, that Braille is facing now. What about the wonderful things? Well, there are, there are three main wonderful things. The first of them is the Marrakesh Treaty. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware of it, the Marrakesh Treaty is, uh, is an international agreement that the American Council of the Blind was very much involved in making happen. And, and, in, and, in particular, and in particular, our former executive director um, took a huge part in, uh, in, in making the Marrakesh Treaty happen. Uh, Melanie Brunson 
was one of the, the folks who was chiefly involved with um, doing the negotiations and providing a lot of the legal language and, and other framework components um, that resulted in uh, the, the creation of the Marrakesh Treaty. And folks like Kim Charlson, the former president of the American Council of the Blind, also worked very hard to make the Marrakesh Treaty happen. What the Marrakesh Treaty did was to essentially create an international copyright component that allowed folks who were producing either Braille or audiobooks uh, or presumably large print books uh, to figure out a way um, that, that without um, infringing copyright laws, they could produce books and distribute them internationally um, to folks who are blind or visually impaired or the more blanket term print disabled. So that suddenly meant that we in this country would have access to huge numbers of books that were produced in other parts of the world, and more importantly, to other parts of the world, they would have access to the huge number of books that, that we produce here. Now, it's not easy to implement a complex agreement like that, but what it means is that we can look forward to making available to all countries a much larger quantity of Braille than we've ever had in the past. And that's exciting. The second really hopeful thing that's happened is a decision that was made by uh, the National Library Service after a Braille summit that was held in Boston, Massachusetts several years ago, uh, jointly sponsored by Karen Kenninger, who was then the NLS director, and uh, Kim Charlson, who worked for the Perkins Center and was talking book librarian for Massachusetts. At that Braille summit, what the vast majority of Braille readers who were invited to that summit said, and, and these were folks from all consumer organizations and from a bunch of Braille producers and, and a, a whole range of folks all got together and said one specific thing to the National Library Service more loudly than any other thing. And that was, can you please find a way, if you can, uh, to produce an electronic Braille reader uh, that you can distribute so that anybody who wants to read Braille using electronic Braille would in fact have the capacity to do that. And the National Library Services took that idea went back to Washington, got the law changed so that it could be allowed to do it, and is currently engaged in a pilot project using two different devices, uh, which, which are being utilized uh, in a number of states uh, all over the country. And the expectation is that once these pilots are completed, the NLS will make some decisions about whether they'll continue to use both devices or whether they'll use just one. And then when that decision is finally made, it will then be possible for NLS to say to any Braille reader who is competent, any Braille reader who's able to demonstrate they can benefit from um, receiving these devices will in fact be entitled to get an electronic Braille reader um, free of charge that they can keep for the rest of their lives and that they can utilize to read books um, in Braille. 
I I am fortunate enough to to be a user of one of the two reading devices that NLS has made available, and I can tell you that it's pretty amazing. Um, they have limited Wi-Fi, but sufficient Wi-Fi to allow you to connect to NLS and directly download uh, books uh, from the National Library Service that are available in Braille um, directly to your device or to an SD card if you choose. Uh, an SD card is a, a little card that you put in the back of your device that can increase the capacity of uh, your device uh, tremendously. As it is, uh, there are 16 gig of materials that are available for uh, the, the NLS player, which is more than enough to store probably uh, most of the books that are currently available uh, in Braille from NLS. So there are three other things that I want to talk about briefly. Um, one of those is to say uh, that the future of the availability of Braille is, is not only huge because of Marrakesh, not only huge because of uh, the developments with regard to the free electronic Braille readers, which are coming down the line, but it's also huge because of the transition to unified English Braille. Because what the transition to unified English Braille has done are two things which are really important. The first thing that it's done is it's made a single approach to producing contracted Braille available to all the English-speaking countries in the world. And that is amazingly exciting because it means that there isn't any difference in the kind of Braille that is being taught and being learned and being used in printing houses from South Africa to New Zealand to Australia to Canada to England to Ireland and so on. So for the first time, the English-speaking world is, is actually using the same system across the board, which means that Braille books produced in any part of the English-speaking world are going to be immediately transferable and comprehensible to any other part of the English-speaking world, which is pretty exciting. But in addition to that, UEB allows us to translate books more accurately, which means that we can take a lot of electronic books, which are, which are potentially available, millions and millions of them that have been produced for people who read print, translate them into Braille, and hopefully make them available through libraries like the National Library Service or others uh, where we can read them. So as you can see from what I've talked about, there are some developments for the future of Braille that are hugely exciting. And there are some developments in the future of Braille that are scary. Uh, I, I am not sure which way things will go. The Braille Revival League is determined that we are going to impact the Braille system so that with our efforts and with the efforts of everybody in Texas, throughout the country, and throughout the world, folks will recognize that Braille is essentially an essential medium of communication for everyone who's blind, and that with the help of the Braille Revival League, our country and the world will connect the dots of Braille into a world where Braille is recognized and valued 
and accepted and grows and burgeons into the kind of literacy moment it can become, not just for people in this country, but for people in the world. Because the other thing that I didn't talk about that we should probably add on the positive side is we have never in the history of access technology had access to cheaper Braille devices than we have now. What that means is that it may be possible for developing countries to develop libraries of electronic Braille books that they could never have afforded to develop afforded to develop if they had to use hard copy braille. So the potential of braille isn't just for us in the developed world, but for everybody all over the world. Mr. Michael, back to you. Uh, Paul, this is Katie. We have a couple of questions. Sure. Cindy, please unmute. Um, actually, Katie, I had my hand raised because I do not have any visual. Okay, did, did you want something? Okay. Visual, yeah. Did you have a question for Paul? Uh, no, I'm sorry. Okay, no problem. Okay, let me get back. So, so oh, did, did you say there was another? another there is, but I, I'm, I've got to get back to this section, please. Thank you for your help, Miss Katie. Miss Katie is from Florida, and um, we... We have a board meeting coming up pretty soon where I where I'll get to see Katie in person, and I'm looking forward to that. While Leslie is trying to unmute, I I have a question or two for you, Paul. You are Michael. Um, one of the projects, you know, I know uh, our local affiliate, I mean our state affiliate, wants to work on. I got people chomping at the bit to to go into the school system across the state uh, or, or the education system, I guess, in general. And so what would you think would be a good approach, a win-win approach that we well, can take to, to, to bombard the education system? One of the things that, that the Braille Revival League did at our convention this summer uh, was to hold a session where a number of the members of BRL um, discuss things that we think the Braille Revival League can do um, to make the future of Braille brighter. And we also just held a, a Braille buzz call that will eventually become available on our website, which is braillerevivalleague.org, and that's spelled out in full, so B-R-A-I-L-L-E and so on. Um, and, and so the, the, the answer to your question is we think that folks who already know Braille can, can be hugely valuable mentors to the school system. And what our local chapters need to do uh, is to get hold of local school districts and say, we want to be available as, as role models and perhaps as mentors to your kids who are learning Braille in your school system already. More than that, in many states, if not most states, there is a Braille challenge every year, which leads eventually to kind of national Braille challenge championships. And the Braille challenge is actually looking for blind people to become directly involved in the Braille challenge. So another area where, where I think state and local affiliates um, can become directly involved with Braille is by finding out who is running the Braille challenge in your state 
and becoming directly involved with them at the at the local level where where Braille challenges start because it goes from local then to state and then to national. So those are at least some some approaches that you can take, Michael. We have another hand Great. raised, Todd. Oh, I want to thank you for what you told us about the uh, webinar so far. Um, I, I mean, uh, about Braille. So the question is, long time ago, a long time ago, we had an assembly about Braille at the California School for the Blind um, in the library, and they said that Braille was going to get more, um, that Braille was going to be around mm -hmm. forever. Mm -hmm. It was going to be um, different. Is this, the, is this the future for Braille, the full English thing? And will there still be the two contraction, the, the, the uh, grade one and grade two Braille, or will the full English Braille uh, eliminate that? That's what I want to know. So UEB removes a few contractions from grade two Braille, but aside from that, it's essentially the same. There are a lot of um, there are a lot of changes in Braille, but but mostly those that you won't run across if what you're doing is just reading Braille books. You know, there are some there are some new signs and symbols that allow you to identify the kind of print that's out there, like italics and other stuff like that. And there is a UEB math system that is based for the most part on what was the British math system in the past um, and is different from the NEMIS system, which a lot of our kids in school here would have learned. But um, I don't think there's anybody um, who currently reads grade two Braille who wouldn't be pretty comfortable reading UEB. Re replace the original Braille format? It will replace. It has replaced what's called EBAE, which is which is the American Grade Two Braille. Mm -hmm. So, will it replace both Grade One and Grade Two? Or no, just no, no. Grade. Uh, there's only marginal differences. It, it will replace both, but but really, there's no difference in Grade One Braille except for the additional signs for um, for for things like italics and underlining and that kind of stuff. So this is and these electronic bill readers that are coming out. What will they mostly be used for? I mean, I've heard about them, but yeah, well, they can't be used for note taking because the National Library Service has decided that they are readers, not not readers and writers. So you can't use them as a note taker, but you can use them to read. Um, right now, they've just made a, a change in. Um, in their software so that in addition to being able to download stuff from the National Library Service, you can also access NFB Newsline. Um, so you can actually read local newspapers in Braille every day if you want to. Do you also think that the electronic Braille readers are the uh, are replacement of the original talking book machine or do you think that... Uh... Oh, no, no, I don't think... I don't think I, I think there's likely to be some changes and maybe in, in the Texas library user stuff, um, we'll talk about some of those things, but, um, but no, they won't, they won't replace talking book machines. They, these, these will be available in addition to those. Okay. And if. And if okay. Okay. Todd, I, I, due to time, I think I'm, I'm going to step in here. Uh, we, we, we've got other parts of our program we want to do. We need to get to thank you for your questions. Uh, and the discussion. And I had one other thing I wanted to, one area I wanted you to touch on a little bit 
for us, uh, uh, Paul, to emphasize uh, the importance of Braille in employment, because as we educate our students, our goal is for them to be uh, economically independent. And the best way to do that is to be employed. Uh, I can certainly vouch for Braille uh, helping me through my employment. So uh, how important is that, do you think, for employing our people? One of the things that surprises me, and maybe there's somebody in a university who's listening to this who will, who will take me up on this challenge, is that even though we've got lots of kind of anecdotal evidence uh, that what I'm about to say is true, there's only really been one study that was done, and that was done 25 to 30 years ago. Nevertheless, what it says is, whereas the unemployment rate that, that is generally quoted for blind people as a whole is 70%, the employment rate for blind people who read Braille is 80%. So what, what that suggests is that learning Braille is probably the most important key that you have to being sure that you'll be able to not only find a job, but do it well enough that you can keep that job. Very good. Maybe we can get the folks at uh, Mississippi State to uh, to revive a, a study like that. I would I would love it if they would do it because I think I think it, it it would be absolutely convincing evidence for folks that that depriving students of the ability to learn Braille or adults who lose their vision is actually condemning them to unemployment. Sounds like it to me. Well, very good, Paul. Thank you so much for joining us and, and uh, getting us all hyped up about uh, what we can do to uh, further the future of Braille and uh, help educate our students and help blind and visually impaired people get uh, meaningful employment. So thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us this morning. It's it's my pleasure, Michael, and, I, and and I'll be around for a while. So if there's something else that comes up, I'll be here. Okay, great, great. So now let's move to uh, another segment of our of our program, and I want to bring in uh, a delightful young lady who always has uh, some something uh, very funny to say about something. <laughs> Miss Sandia Rao. And Sandia, are you here? I hope she is because she's, she's. I'm here. I'm here. She's always going to do something. I wasn't trying to do something. It just happened. <laughs> well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, Michael. We're just really excited about Braille. And that was a great uh, informative presentation by Paul. So thank you so much. So this next segment of our program, we call... Uh, the product corner, and and we every year we like to try to go out and find something new uh, that uh, will help us in uh, in in the world of Braille. And so I think Sandhya has a has a product, and I have a couple of things I want to share. Uh, and you may have seen these, but we just want to at this time we. We just kind of like to emphasize those. So, Sandia, what do you have for us this morning? 
I have the, I wish I had this actually. It is the Canute 360. Canute 360. It is basically what they're saying. It is electronic braille reimagined. Think about that. So this is a product by Bristol Braille Technologies. They're based out of England, darling. So they are, uh, as the name implies, it is a multi-line digital Braille e-reader, and it was developed by, with, and for the blind community, and it makes reading books more affordable, practical, and enjoyable. Of course, we all love to read, uh, so it, this is going to make it easier for us to consume information and read more enjoyably, and it is going to give you more information because you have more than just the standard one or two lines of a Braille display that is currently out there. And the relatively small size of this Canute, and Canute is spelled C-A-N-U-T-E, Canute 360. Um, so then it, because it's sort of small, it can be either stay stationary on your desktop or it could be portable and go with you to work or school. And let's see, we can talk a little bit about some of the features of this new device. So this reads... The, the this display what it's going to help you read brf did anybody know what brf stands for i've been reading that for many years and never knew what it stood for braille ready files people don't say you didn't learn anything here braille ready files that's what brf is and maybe everybody already knows that but me and then there is pef files or portable embosser files so it will read those automatically it has nine lines of text, guys, nine lines of text with 40 characters of Braille. So it's uh, it supports all six dot Braille codes, including, and it's going to be uh, including for music and math and all languages. So, and tactile graphics. And let's see, it has three page navigation buttons. I, like I said, has and it has nine line key display keys. It has contextual help, and uh, it is ideal for reading books, obviously, for math, music, tables, or charts. Those are always quite fun, right? And uh, you can actually load a whole library on a lot, you know, one of those USB sticks or SD cards, and pop it in the uh, Canute. And it is at your fingers. Talk about amazing, right? Uh, so the specifications, the dimensions, I will spare you the metric dimensions, okay? Um, it is six pounds. That's all it is. It's 14 inches by seven inches by one inch. So it's pretty small. Uh, and maybe, maybe uh, you may be wondering how much is this thing? Anybody want to know how much this thing is? It's, I mean, I've spent tens of thousands. Well, my employer from people have spent thousands of dollars buying these Braille displays all my life. And this thing is only $2,500. So uh, it's a pretty amazing price for what you're going to be able to do with it. Yet there are still a few uh, limitations, let's say. It's still, this has been around for about five years. I've actually had the great pleasure of, uh, getting to see one of these a couple of years ago and I really wanted to kind of take it home, but my purse wasn't big enough. So I had to leave it there. Um, and it was just uh, really exciting. Definitely 
Um, so what it does is you, uh, it's supposed to just be accessible out of the box, but like for some, some formats of Braille, you have to convert it uh, using accessible library services or translated from print source documents. Uh, so using various other software. And so for the best results, they tell you to format it in a certain way. And some programs already format it for the Canute in mind. Uh, let's see, I told you about the library. And uh, those are the, the frequently asked questions. So can you, uh, you know, are you gonna be able to just start using this as braille screen output? Not yet, not yet. They're working on it. So right now the only two formats you can really read are BRF and PEF, which I already told you what those were. Um, so hopefully it will be where we can eventually uh, just plug it in and use it as a, a, a Braille display for a, a PC or a Mac, but we're not quite there yet. They're working on that. So uh, those are, that's the Braille Canute, the Canute 360, Michael. Okay. And so I have a, I have a couple of product products I want to mention. Uh, and one is similar to that. It's I guess it's a newer product, uh, at least I just heard about it. Uh, and it's, it's, it comes as a result of a new partnership between uh, APH, American Printing House for the Blind, and Humanware. And this product is called the, the graffiti. I don't think it's the kind of graffiti that you normally accustomed to seeing, but it's a Braille product. It, it, it is a multi-line Braille tactile reader. It combines the ability to uh, display tactile graphics while at the same time uh, serving as a tactile book reader, thereby changing the way that students read books and reducing the time it takes to get books to their fingertips. So, if you know, it normally takes a long time to get books uh, reproduced and get get them to uh, the to students. By the time the, they get the books, the semester is over. So, this will uh, greatly enhance uh, that 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 time and also allow a student to see something. Uh, an image, touch it tactfully. Uh, I think one of the examples they used was giving the students uh, a tactile image of the sun. So, so uh, contact APH or Humanware and ask them about the the graffiti. Now, for the for serious Braille users, uh, there is a product from the AT guys. It's called the VersaSlate paperless erasable braille slate and stylus. It is manufactured by Overflow Biz Inc. And it costs $120 and is available for shipment right now. It works uh, sort of like a regular slate without paper. It has four, four lines, 20 cells, and it uses a mag uh, magnetic stylus. To use it, you just flip it over. You know, you write in it like you write in a normal slate, flip it over to read. Uh, and then there are four buttons on the side. You can erase each line. 
the and then start writing all over again. So for more information, go to atguys.com. And so that's that's our product corner for this morning. So we wanted to to also conduct a little business if we could. Uh, and we have a couple of items that we want to get to. Uh, I thought about sending out the minutes to the uh, to the to the group, but for some reason wasn't able to. And so, Sandy, do you have minutes from our previous <laughs> yes. meeting? They are some very exciting minutes coming forth. Are we ready to read the minutes, sir? Go right ahead. All right. So this is the Braille Revival League of Texas, BRLT, meeting minutes from August 17th, 2019. The meeting was called to order at 10 a.m. by President Karen Itell. After introductions, we established that there were about 13 attendees present. Minutes from the 2017 and 2018 meetings were read by Sandhya Rao. Both sets were approved by those present. Michael Garrett gave an abbreviated treasurer's report, and he said that our balance after all transactions was the same as last year, amounting to $5,543.82. Okay. President Itell asked that BRLT lend its support to our parent organization, the Braille Revival League of Texas, as they encourage inventors at MIT as they endeavor to produce a new Braille display called, called Team Tactile. Sandhya Rao moved that we offer our support and Michael seconded the motion pass. All right, okay. Elections, all board members are eligible to serve one more year. And the recommendation from the nominating committee was to present the slate in total. After asking for other nominations from the floor, the sitting board was elected by acclamation. Our guest speaker was Jack Hickman from Crystal Vision. He talked about three new Braille displays products, and they were the Braille Focus displays, which are Bluetooth enabled and come in 80 cell, 40 cell, and 14 cell machines. Those sturdily constructed units can be used with iOS, Android, and on Windows machines and on a Mac. Prices were from $7,995 for the 80 cell to $2,995 for the 40 cell unit and $1,295 for the 14 cell unit. Sandhya Rao gave a demonstration on how to type in Braille 
on a smartphone. She also announced that she, she witnessed a new product called the Braille 360. Okay. It is a British product that has 360 characters. She urged us to watch out for further developments. Okay, I was ahead of my time, I guess. Um, with no further business to conduct, the meeting was adjourned at 11.04 a.m. Respectfully submitted by Sandia Rao, Secretary of Braille Revival League of Texas. So I'm not sure how many of our members are present, but you've heard the minutes and Hopefully uh, they will they will be accepted as read. For all those who are uh, in favor of approving the minutes, raise your hand. Yep. Seven hands are raised. Yay. Okay. Participants saying no, please raise your hands. I see Marjorie's hand is up, but I'm sure that it's not opposed. Would you like me to allow her to no. talk? Allow her to talk. She's going to give a brief treasurer's report. Okay, Marjorie. There she is. Yes, ma'am. Okay, because I've been trying to speak all morning. I almost gave up and left. Well, I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> I couldn't get in even when I raised my hand. So anyway, I've got the treasurer's report, and you heard what our ending balance was. But when it ended at the end of July last year, it was a little more. It was five thousand six fifty nine eighty two, and then during the year. We had 16 members. Remember, they're not all uh, regular members. Some are life members, so they don't pay the regular dues. And then we had two people donated, Joan Cox and myself donated for the scholarship fund because we wanted to get that raised so we could do a scholarship. So our balance is not much different. Our balance at the end of the year is $5,788.12. And that was with our small membership that we had for this year. Then as I was talking to Michael, one thing that I wanted to bring up for you to think about as you get back to see if you want to approve the treasurer's report is that we have not given a scholarship for a Braille reader in a long time. And I would like to suggest that we at least do $500 because at one time we wanted to keep $5,000 in the bank, I don't know what the reason was anymore, I don't remember, but we have 788.12 over that, and next year we'll probably be up to nearly six, so I wanted you all to think about a, maybe even two scholarships for $500 for Braille readers, because we haven't done that in quite a while, and that really encourages Braille readers and to apply and to continue your, further your education. All right, very, very good. I think we will take that under advisement. I'm rushing now because we're we're getting close to our time. Okay. I have a couple of things, a couple other things I wanted to. Okay. One other thing uh, I wanted to mention, uh, Michael. I know when I know this is off a little bit, but I know when we had our great speaker from Florida, I found an old uh, one of our um, BRL memorandums, and it still had like uh, Rose Resnick, Maxine Dorf. And some of you might not remember them. And Winifred Downing, who were really, really big, big promoters, way, way back of Braille. Yeah. And, yeah. And this is my 40th convention for the ACB Texas. Or 40th. All right. 
member. Very good, very good. Well, thank you, Marjorie. Uh, you know, I think Robert's rules gives us the, the ability to, we don't have to approve the, uh, the, the treasurer's report. It, it would automatically be filed for, for our record keeping. But we do have a couple of important things. One we may not get to. Uh, is Kenneth Simeon here? Yes, I am here. All right. So what we are, what we want to do today is to have uh, our uh, elections because uh, our, we have to reconstitute our board. So uh, Kenneth served on our our um, nominating committee, and he's going to present our uh, report. Okay. Thank you, Michael. Uh, as the from the nominating committee, we want to present a slate that we hope that you would consider uh, as one. And for officers, we have Michael E. Garrett, President, Karen Itell, Vice President, Sandia Brown, Secretary, Marjorie Beeman, Treasurer, and moving to board members, board member Neva Fairchild, board member Olivia Chavez, board member Karen Thomas. Okay, uh, Michael, uh, from this point, I would like to just uh, ask everyone uh, who, who are members and would like to do we? I'd like to say, since I've asked that these be presented as one, uh, do we have any nominations from the floor? Is anyone interested in any one of our positions? If so, this is the time to speak. Do we have any nominations from the floor? Please raise your hand if you are interested or someone will be nominating you. Allison, please go ahead. Unmute. Here you go. It keeps popping in and out. She's unmuted. Now she's not muted. <laughs> Is that Allison? Uh, does is the last name showing? Barnes. Barnes. Yes. Okay. Allison. Hannah, she's the only one with her hand up. Okay. Try it All one right. more time. I want to ask one more time: Do we have any nominations from the floor? Michael, how are we doing on our time? We're close. We're close. Okay. I, I keep clicking got... and ask you unmute, and it's she's not being able to click it apparently. Okay. So. All right, uh, Allison, uh, I'm not sure what you may have uh, wanted to say, but uh, we have to move on. And uh, so in hearing no uh, no other nominations from the floor, uh, we move from our nominating committee that the uh, slate that we presented be elected by acclamation. Congratulations to all of our new officers and board members. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Kenneth. Uh and I have a couple of, in the, in the time we have left, I have a couple of items that I wanted to bring to the body uh, regarding our constitution and bylaws, because we, having had to meet virtually, we have, we want to be in compliance with our, uh, our constitution and bylaws. Now, these, I, I want to present two today, but uh, there, there is other language in our in our in our document that needs to be addressed, but these I think are most important. And the first one is Article Four, Subsection D, Item Four. Current read it currently reads: In order to remain in good standing, the BRLT must maintain the minimum membership and comply with all other provisions of this Constitution. Um, Proposed language, uh, and, and, and I'll give you the, well, let me read the proposed language. In order to remain in good standing, BRLT must maintain 
a minimum membership of 10 persons and must comply with all provisions, all other provisions of this constitution. And the reason we want to reduce that minimum, it used to be 20. Well, that was when we started and everybody was young and had zest and vibrant, but most to, to, to become in line with most of our state chapters, which only require 10 members, we thought it uh, appropriate to reduce that minimum uh, maintain membership to 10 to, to, to be in line with the rest of our state chapters. And the second item uh, I wanted to bring to uh, us is uh, voting, which really comes in line with what uh, uh, we did at the state level uh, to, to make our constitution uh, in line. Current language says uh, elections, and that is uh, Article 5, Section 4. Uh, and that currently reads um, uh, a majority vote of those uh, present and voting uh, at uh, an annual convention shall be required to elect any uh, officer. Voting shall be by voice or show of hands or when, when there are two or more candidates and uh, a candidate requests a secret ballot. So the proposed language is, uh, proposed, a majority of uh, voters, of, of uh, majority vote of certified members attending an annual uh, convention shall be required to elect any officer whether in person or virtually. Voting shall be uh, by voice, show of hands, secret ballot, or by any electronic mean, means deemed appropriate. So those are the, the, are the, are the two uh, proposed uh, changes we want to the, uh, to the uh, Constitution. Uh, hopefully you will vote in favor of that. Are there any hands raised to make these changes to our constitution? We Not yet. Go ahead and raise your hands if you want to approve it. These are to, to comply with what our state uh, ACBT has already done. Hopefully we get at least one or two. We do. I'm just, <laughs> we have six hands up, Kenneth. This is Michael. Oh, I'm sorry, Michael. We have six, six hands up. Okay. Uh, any opposed? You have to lower those and see if there are any posts. We, yeah, we, we, yeah. we have three minutes, guys. Any any other hands? Uh, anyone opposed? Please raise your hand. No, nope. no hands. Very good, very good, very good. Well, that really concludes our business. I want to thank everybody who joined us and, you know, uh, we 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 coined a, a motto a few years ago, and uh, I'll leave you with that. And that motto is "Read More Braille." So we thank you for attending our 2021 uh, Braille Revival League of Texas meeting, 
and I'll hand it over to the next group.